In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice expands consciousness. A product of the spice, the red sappho juice stains the lips of the mentats, but allows them to be human computers, as thinking machines have been outlawed. The spice is vital to space travel. The Spacing Guild and its navigators, who the spice has mutated over 4,000 years, use the orange spice gas, which gives them the ability to fold space. That is, travel to any part of the universe without moving. Stay in your seat. Where is she? Where is Miss Kringle's body? Open the envelope. I hid her body while you were catching some Z's. You'll need a helping hand, so look for initials down at the GCPD. You went to my work last night. Technically, you did. I was just in the driver's seat, so to speak. What's that stuff for? It's what I'm going to use to get you to tell me where Jenny Reborg is. Your turn to play bad cop? No. Good cop and bad cop left for the day. I'm a different kind of cop. Oh? You think the bog is your ally? You merely adopted the bog. I was born in it. Molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By then, it was nothing to me but blinding. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you watchful protectors. You silent guardians. You caped crusaders. You dark night screedlers. This is Staff Only, the podcast studio manager. Did you like the songs about Milwaukee last week? I bet you did. I butter bone barley corn baba bratata bo bean bobin bet you did, my beautiful babies. But this week, we're back with a brand new interview with Austin-based filmmaker, Yen Tan. He's got an amazing new film out this year called 1985. Check out the episode description for a link to find out where you can see the film. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 83 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, Sunday, September 30th, then I'm on my way driving back to Austin from a little camping trip out west at Hill Country State Natural... (laughs) Hill Country State Natural Area. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I'm sure it was absolutely beautiful out there. Now, speaking of Austin, this week on the podcast, I've got a very fine Austin filmmaker and designer, Yen Tan. A few weeks back, I got introduced to Yen's work through another Austin filmmaker, Robin Berghaus, who directed the feature documentary Stumped. Robin and her husband invited me and Claire to catch a screening of Yen's latest feature, 1985, at the Alamo Draft House during AGLIF, the All Genders, Lifestyles, and Identities Film Festival. Yen happened to be in attendance at the screening, receiving an award at the end uh, of the showing from Agla, and he talked a little bit about the movie and the nature of indie filmmaking and answered questions from the audience. He was thoughtful and funny, and I really enjoyed hearing him speak about his process, so I figured, what the hell, I'll try to get in touch with this guy and see if he'll do an episode of the podcast. Much to my surprise, after I sent off a cold email, Yen replied that he'd be happy to do it, and so here we are today. He dropped by this week to do the first humor in the abject recorded in my Austin kitchen at this cute little red table I bought off this cowboy named Gil on Craigslist. We get into the story and making of 1985, as well as his two previous features, 2008's Chow and 2013's Pit Stop. 
his approach to designing out amazing film posters for his peers, and he teaches me some of the industry lingo. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. If you like hearing Humor in the Abject every week, show your support on my drip profile. Just head on over to d.rip slash humor and the abject. That's d.rip slash humor and the abject and become a Screedler for just $5 a month. It helps keep this thing sustainable. And if you've ever backed a Kickstarter before, you already have a login and a profile on Drip because it's part of Kickstarter. Subscribers get fun little updates from me like video pieces, writing, locked podcast episodes, and more. Uh, To those of you who are already subscribers, you're the best. It's just five bucks a month, but it really, really helps out the pod. Uh, That's enough for me. Here's my conversation with writer, director, and designer, Yen Tan. Okay, cool. Uh, Yen Tan, welcome to Humor in the Abject. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Sean. This is the first recording in my new kitchen studio. Okay. So I'm really happy that you're here to, to break this in with me for, obviously people who are listening cannot see this, but... I have a slightly smaller table, but it's nice and red, which matches the microphone uh, wind guards, which I like. Yeah. But it's a little tighter, uh, and I'm not used to all my equipment where it's sitting. But uh, so I recently got to see your latest film, uh, 1985, here in Austin. Yeah. And I do want to talk about the process of creating that. But first, since I'm kind of new here, I've been here a month today Mm -hmm. when we're recording this, could you talk a little bit about what's special for you about being a filmmaker in Austin? Like, why live here? Uh, so I moved here from Dallas in 2011 and before that I lived in Dallas for like 12 years. Uh, and I already started dabbling in films when, when I lived in Dallas. And so the Texas film scene is very small. I think, you know, everyone kind of knows each other in one way or another. And so I've already known a bunch of filmmakers who live in Austin and when I was living in Dallas. Um, and so by the time I decided I wanted to leave Dallas, um, you know, it was like I wanted to move, but I didn't want to like m- really move. I didn't want to go out to like the West Coast, or the sure. East Coast or like something really drastic. So Austin was like moving, but not moving because yeah, it's like... Yeah three hours away uh-huh. when you drive and you know it's like an like, east coast move right it's like yeah new york to philly or right yeah, yeah exactly yeah, like, it's kind of like that yeah <laughs> you can and, just drive home and on top of that I already knew a lot of people here so it wasn't like i i didn't feel like i had to start over yeah. you know so it was just a sense of like oh you know i'm just gonna get closer to what's happening here and so uh you know it just felt like the right move you know because i i, I left a job in dallas like i had i had like a you know a regular full-time job for a while and I wanted to freelance and I wanted to just spend as much time as I can to do what I love, you know, which is filmmaking. And so Austin just seemed like a logical move. Yeah. Do you, um, what's your relationship with the Austin Film Society? Are you hanging out there? I, I keep I mean, hearing everybody's yeah, like, telling me, become a member. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, 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 need to. I think it's like, yeah, that's <laughs> just in the sense that it's such a, it's such a hub for, you know, filmmakers and yeah. just film lovers and, I'm assuming you have been to AFS Cinema, and it's like such a great venue for. I this haven't screen. yet. Yeah. Okay, I know. well, you'll, you'll check it out, and then you'll, and you'll be impressed because I think it's like, uh, I feel like it rivals any of your like any of the New York places. You know, like it rivals <laughs> like the Film Forum and all that kind of stuff. In yeah. the sense that the programming is really amazing. You know, yeah. just in terms of just not just new films, but screening all of old films also, um, and. I mean, you know, Richard Link- Linklater has like a big role in, you know, he's like the founder of the Film Society and all this kind of stuff. And then a lot of the uh, poster art that you see on the wall in the in, at AFS Cinema are part of his collection because he like collects oh, a lot wow. of yeah. yeah. So it's you know it's like an institution and it's like a good place for to see other filmmakers and it's like a living museum right exactly yeah yeah it's pretty totally. cool yeah i have a um i guess a pretty tertiary relationship with the the film centers in new york and things like that but most of my experience is either going to the um extremely extremely expensive chain places mm-hmm. or some really funky fun uh ones like there's a place called spectacle theater in williamsburg that you know it's like five bucks and they show extremely b movie uh german 
body snatcher invasion kind of movie type of things that are all weird and you know people right, just hanging right. out and the the floor is all sticky yeah <laughs> so, okay. but i'm sure there's some yeah there's some good places but yeah i'm excited to check it out and actually the person who turned me on to austin film society is the same person that uh took me to your film robin which is, yeah robin yeah. robin yeah. Berger, the yeah. director and so robin is robin's husband this is like one of those big uh roundabout things but mm-hmm. robin's husband works with my girlfriend's stepdad okay uh in the science department at ut yeah and so when we got to town they were connecting us with some people and they they were uh robin and her husband were so kind they invited us to a couple movies mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we ended up the day that we were free was to come and see 1985 um and it was amazing. I, I had only read a little bit about it before we went. I read the description on mm-hmm. the website mm-hmm. and then came uh, and then found out that you were going to be at the screening mm-hmm. and that you were receiving an award at it. Right. right? right. Was it from Aglyph? Yeah, it's from Aglyph. Uh, which is uh, the which, all genders, lifestyles, yeah, yeah. identities. Austin Gay and Lesbian International. It was like more um, direct. And then they, they had a brand branding uh, change. Well, yeah, yeah, it gets bigger. But it's more inclusive. <laughs> right, no, I like right, it. Exactly, I thought, yeah, I thought right. it was kind of serendipitous, though, that the acronym, they were like, we can make this work. Right. I, like <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. I, I don't know how many uh, hours of brainstorming that went into that. Um, <laughs> but so we, we went and saw the film, um, and it was great. The film's 1985. Would you talk a little bit about what what is... What is the storyline yeah. of 1985? So 19, 1985 is set in the year of 1985 uh, nice. during the Christmas time. And it's about uh, our main character is uh, Adrian, who's like a, a young man in his 20s who goes home to visit his family in Fort Worth, Texas. And he lives in, he's lived in New York for years. And then, you know, we learn that he hasn't been home for a while. And so, you know, it's like a holiday homecoming sort of scenario for him. But at the same time, over the course of the film, we learn that he's, you know, he's, he's, he's closeted and he's also sick. And, and, you know, the situation is that he's unable to tell his family about it, you know, and, and basically that's kind of like the crux of, the dramatic crux of the story and and you sort of see what the how it plays out when you don't you know get to tell your family what's going on you know which is a very um i think that's a that's something that a lot of people face back then you know like during at the height of the epidemic where the stigma was so deep and intense that uh that a lot of people just never would even think about coming out to your family at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always hear the anecdote about even the, <clears throat> the Reagan administration just kind of refusing to address that, uh, this, this epidemic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. existed in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so the, the films it's new, right? It came out 2018. Uh, yeah. I yeah. mean, the premiere, like we finished, we shot it last summer, and then, uh, you know, we cut, we cut it over the fall and then we premiere at South by Southwest this year in March. Cool. Yeah. And where else have you taken in other places thus far? Or yeah. Is it, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, it's gone around the world at this point. You know, nice. I, I've attended several of the festivals and, um, you know, it's, it's been great, you know, just like just the conversations I've had with people and just, the sense of, you know, like this universality of the story too. I think it's like really resonating with people and, and just seeing how even in, in a different culture, it's not like, it's not like people watch it and think, Oh, it's like, is this what you guys face in America? Mm-hmm. You know, it, that that's not that sort of, um, you know, for them, it's almost like, Oh, this is like someone who's like my dad or my mom, uh-huh. or whatever. It's a very, um, immediate sort of uh, connection for them. Yeah. Was it important for you to, to premiere it here in Texas? Um, I mean, I would, I would say, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing about uh, festival premieres is such a, you don't get to choose who you play, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. like you, like it's all, it's about them picking you, not you picking them. Uh-huh. <laughs> so then, you know, usually for most filmmakers, you, you submit to the usual suspects and then you just sort of see yeah. which one takes it, you know, it's very honest of you. I would have lied and been yeah. like, absolutely. Yes. It could have premiered nowhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that would be nice. I think it happens to like, there's like, you know, I believe in the 1% tier of filmmakers who's like, I want to premiere at can this year. Okay. What, I think there's, there's yeah. that segment of people, okay. you know, who's like just ultra privilege or just like, they're just so renowned that we should all be so lucky. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but most of us don't live in that world. So, um, you shot the film on super 16 millimeter yeah. black and white 
white. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you'd done a short prior to this couple yeah. years before, right? But that was in color. That was in color, that yes. Correct? Uh-huh. What, what led to the decision to shoot in black and white? Uh, I think it was uh, after some, you know, very uh, just like deep uh, creative discussions uh, with Hutch, who's the cinematographer, um, we just sort of decided to go in there's a there's like a go for broke aspect to it where it's like oh you know like let's try to explore this in a in a visually in a way that that is unexpected you know because i don't think people think of the 80s in black and white right you know uh but i feel like that was like a really stark period for people who were impacted by the epidemic you know like i don't think they remember it in fun vibrant ways Neons, you know i think it's yeah, like, right yeah, yeah. i think it's like for them it's very um it's like a very sad time you know for a lot of them and so it was like this way of like presenting the story in a way that evokes uh you know period but also it feels like it's timeless because it's black and white you know so it's just like Uh trying to sort of do it in that way and also like this idea that um you know black and white sort of narrows your focus and in in that you're always just like watching for the faces and the the characters and the actors you're not not really paying attention to stuff that's happening in the background and stuff and and that was very important to us because we didn't want to make something that where you're where your uh, attention or your nostalgia is like going towards props or stuff yeah. that's happening in the background or that kind of stuff. You know, we we want to we don't want to make you feel like you're, you know, living this with them as opposed to just going back in time. Yeah, yeah. It kind of had a um, like. <clears throat> I don't know if this is the right term, but it, it had kind of like an anti-nostalgic feel almost mm-hmm. by being black and white because. Yeah. Um, and I guess until you're talking about this right now, I hadn't really thought about it, but even, even an extremely well done set of something that's meant to be in the 1970s or something Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. um, the kind of strangeness or the, the uncanny aspect of those sets becomes such a focal point, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think for me that even when it's very serious, uh, it's, it's artifice is really, really obvious, even if the acting's great, even if the cinematography is incredible, it's really clear that you know all these things were sourced yeah all these things are kind of put there and and yeah the in in 1985 it um it's the characters and i you know i'm trying to think on it and maybe besides like models of cars or something there weren't things that were screaming cues of when this happened i mean there were topical conversations and things and um uh adrian's the main character right Mm -hmm. he's using a pay phone i mean Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. these kinds of things like that but for the most part, it's not in the, uh, it's in no frivolously now time period. Right, you, right, You right. could kind of watch it in a lot of different senses. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Uh, how did you, uh, it, it's got a, it's got a pretty cool cast in, mm-hmm, the, in mm-hmm. the film. Um, and as I was kind of like, I mean, I saw the film and I'm kind of recognizing some people while I'm watching it and things like that. And then you were, you were talking after the screening about the different people that were in it. And then. I was just like, has every person in this been on the TV show Gotham? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. There's that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Almost all of the leads. Yeah. Or at least yeah. like a, a recurring part or something. Right. 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 right it's pretty right. wild. Yeah. I was just like, did Yen just like kidnap people? <laughs> <laughs> but how did you, um, could you talk about the, who's playing the different characters and kind of how you yeah, got in touch no, with totally. them? Yeah, no, totally. So, uh, Corey Michael Smith is the lead. He plays Adrian and he's, uh, known, most known to play, uh, the Riddler on Gotham. Um, but I actually knew Corey from an HBO uh, show that he did with Francis McDormand called Olive Kittredge. This was like three or four years ago. Really? I don't know that. And it's like, Francis it's McDormand. like an HBO oh. miniseries that's just fantastic. It really? has a great cast. Richard Jenkins is in it. And then, um, uh, Bale Murray's in it. And it's just one of these, um, I think it was like a five, six part thing. And Corey's arc is predominantly in the second or third episode and he's like it's it's a pretty important supporting character in the film uh where he just shares a lot of um his moments with the francis mcdormand character who's like the title character Mm -hmm. of the show um and i just remember one that that show was just so when i saw it the first time on hbo i was just like oh my gosh this is like as good as 
a really good movie. I'm going to watch you know? that tonight. Yeah, no, That's... totally check it out. Um, so, so I knew Corey from that, and then you know when I talked to him the first time when I had a Skype conversation with him because he responded to the script. I've never seen Gotham, you know, like, and I don't like. I'm not a big comic book person, and sure. so in that sense, I'm like, oh, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I know he's like great, and he has like a big following and all this kind of, which is awesome, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't have any, you know, it's not my place to be like, oh, I'm like better than that or whatever, you know. I think no, no, it's like I, I, I use this example all the time. I don't, I don't like the Pixies, yeah, yeah. but I know they're an important band. Right. Okay. I think mm-hmm. what you said is more controversial than what I said. <laughs> I said I don't like them. I didn't say they were good. <laughs> or they were bad. Sorry. Yeah, oh, okay, no, no. I'm okay. slipping okay. here. Now I'm going to say something yeah. I regret. What I meant to say was, well, it's not to my taste. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So sorry. Yes. Oh. Uh, you might not watch the show, but you know it's important. Is what yeah, I no, I mean, uh, so, I mean, I know, I know Corey's a great actor. And then, you know, when I talked to him the first time, I just felt... Uh, there was a sense of like, oh, like he totally gets yeah um, the film and he gets the character and all that kind of stuff. And then Virginia Madsen plays his mother, Eileen. Yeah. And Virginia Madsen was actually our very first attachment to the film. You she's know? so good. And she's great. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it's one of those things where when I talked to her, I was like, okay, yeah, you get it. You know, like, uh, and then uh, Jamie Chung came after that, who plays Carly, the mm-hmm. uh, friend from high school. Um. And then Michael Chiklis was like our last cast attachment, actually. Uh, and then we actually did have another sort of like, an, you know, another sort of like TV um, actor because originally the 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 kid who was supposed to play the brother Andrew is uh, so we have Aiden Langford right now who's who's uh, after after he did 1985, I think he got a job playing. Bosch on Amazon, like he played young Bosch. I think it's like a flashback sort of thing. Oh, like the TV show, right? The TV show on Amazon, with Titus Weller, right? Yeah, with Titus. Seen, yeah, I only know who he is because of Deadwood. Oh, I've okay. Seen, I've seen those ads. That's like my reference point for a lot of stuff is just New York subway ads. Yeah. I was oh, like, I, I know right, what Bosch right. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah okay, yeah, yeah. okay. So, so he wasn't Bosch, but then originally before Aiden came about, and this is someone we lost before we got Aiden. Um, uh, the younger brother was meant was supposed to be played by uh, Noel Schnapp, who was in Stranger Things. He um, he played some Winona Ryder's kid, and then who was like missing in most of season one, but then he had oh. a big oh, sort yeah. of arc in season two. Sure, yeah. And then we lost him before we started shooting because there was a one of the kids had an uh, an accident in while they were shooting season two, and basically a schedule got pushed. Yeah. To, to, to work around that accident. And then it just overlapped into hours. And it was like, it was like, we couldn't just push it yeah, anymore. Yeah, so yeah. we had to like, you know, we had to cut the core, unfortunately. But, uh, but then, you know, then we found Aiden and He's then, great. Yeah. Who's great too. Yeah. yeah, totally. So, um, so that's, uh, that's the story of the cast. That's really cool. Um, and then, uh, weirdly, Virginia Madsen was in a different Gotham. Yeah. She's in a movie called Gotham in 1988 with Tommy Lee Jones. What is that about? I don't know. I just... <laughs> oh, my I gosh. Just, like, I was like, that's okay. interesting. Okay, I, okay, looking, I didn't know that. Okay. I was like, there's no way that all of... Well, because Jamie has... Uh, my understanding is Jamie... I also have not watched the show. But yeah, yeah. Jamie has had some parts in it. Um uh-huh. Uh, Corey plays a pretty significant part right. in it. Uh, Michael Chiklis has been in it. And then I was just like, I wonder if Virginia Madsen has been in Gotham. Yeah, and I yeah, like, yeah. Googled it. And then this other movie came up, which is like a 1988 movie with her and Tommy Lee Jones, Call which Tom. I thought was oh, pretty wow. cool. But, that's funny. I mean, I knew her from Dune. Yeah, you I know. know. That's like, <laughs> I mean, she was uh, she was in a lot of uh, iconic uh, 80s films. Which too. is so cool because then there's this like, she's transported into this other world of the 1980s that right. is this kind of like... As opposed to maybe our nostalgic rememberings of her in 80s films. Yeah, um, yeah. Instead, there's this kind of thing where she plays this really kind of like... I was trying to th- think before you came over here about how to describe her her character's kind of three-dimensionality. And she just like... She's perfectly like a mother. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how else to describe yeah, that. Yeah. Like just everything about her. And then the same thing with uh, Michael Chiklis's character who uh, he plays the father in the film... He's, I, I went into it, or not I went into it, the first few minutes of it as he's, as he's being introduced and things, mm-hmm. I'm immediately projecting all of these kind of stereotypes mm-hmm. that I have on this guy, mm-hmm. this kind of Texas dad who, 
you know, has a, a nativity scene in his mm-hmm. front yard who mm-hmm. seems kind of like this and that. And then weirdly, he it, it's not that he the character doesn't do some 180 mm-hmm. or something, but there's this really interesting way where he doesn't become the antagonist of the film, right, right, which right. I thought he would be. Right, right. And he, he really has this kind of nuanced um, personality to him. Yeah. It's really complicated. And, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't agree with all of this guy's politics or right, something, but right. it was like, he was a really, it was a challenging character, you yeah, know, to yeah, kind of like yeah. sit with. So no, totally. It's like kudos to the writing, which you're responsible oh, for you. into Michael's uh, portrayal of it. Yeah. It's really, I mean, I think we all felt like, um, I mean, that's the thing out of the film where I think some of the characters, especially the parents, you know, they definitely, uh, when you first meet them, they, 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 they check a lot of boxes in terms yeah. of, archetypes and all that kind of stuff and then you know i think i think michael's character dale is like sort of like the the messiest among everyone because it's like you even though he feels like the most antagonistic character in the entire film it's it's hard to sort of really articulate what you feel about him towards the end because he sort of does come around in a way that's not really like he's really coming around he's i think he's still retaining the essence of who he is. He just sort of yeah. like moved an inch, you know? And I think he does like a 90, not a 180. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I think that 90 is, <laughs> is enough to sort of nudge you to be like, yeah. Oh, you know, he's yeah. not like who you think he is, you know? And I, I think that's the way I, um, I see a lot of, you know, that's the way, like I, you know, after post-election, you know, I think we all went through this sense of like, what the fuck happened and all that kind of stuff. And for me, you know, I have neighbors who voted for Trump. And, sure. And it was like this overnight sense of like, oh my gosh, who are you? Mm-hmm. You know, I've known you for years. And then now I know you voted for this guy. And yeah. and I at, at the same time, I also have to reconcile this idea that, you know, like, they have helped you out and stuff and that wouldn't change, you know? And yes, they voted for him, but then I think if you need help again, they would still help you. So like, ultimately, how do I feel about them? You know, like this idea of like, nobody's really bad, you know? It's like, it's like, it's just like- Some people are. Right. Some people are for sure. (laughs) There are definitely people who are really bad. But with these people that I know, it's always like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I feel about them anymore. You know, it's like, I'm really mad at them in some ways, but then at the same time, it's like, I don't think they're bad people, you know? Okay, yeah. So, yeah. No, it makes sense. And it's kind of like, and there are parts too where he, where Dale um, is talking to Adrian and he's kind of, you know, in this way that is probably for this type of character is a very vulnerable place to be, which is kind of explaining mm-hmm. his own relationship with his father and this kind of, so there's like a, you know, there, and it's kind of, it, it leaks out bit by bit, yeah, but yeah, it, it yeah. was really interesting because it, you know, I, I I came away from the film wondering, you know, well, so who is the antagonist? And yeah. then I'm I'm thinking, you know, more a zoomed out kind of thing. It's like, well, the the culture of silence yeah. and the othering surrounding this thing is the antagonist. Mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. a it's not a a person yeah, in the film. Yeah. Um, no, totally. I think the context itself is the antagonist. You yeah, know, of the time and time and place, and yeah. What was it about Adrian's uh, story, this fictional story that you've concocted about this kind of um, everyday person who mm-hmm. who's coming back as opposed to something that might have been easier and gotten a bunch of attention because it's a biopic about a famous celebrity mm-hmm, who had mm-hmm. HIV AIDS or or an activist or yeah. something like that. I mean, what what was important for you about telling this kind of story, which I certainly don't think that it's banal, but it's very everyday. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And why was that? Why I was think that I think Adrian describes. A lot of the uh, the men I've met who went through that era, mm-hmm. like I, I had a job after I graduated from college, like in the mid nineties, in uh, where I interacted with a lot of people who were living HIV and AIDS, and that was like literally right before the really radical, life changing drugs came about, the cocktails, mm-hmm. and so. So up to that point, it was still very much like even in the 90s, if you were HIV positive, like you could die, you know, sort of thing. And so, and I talked to, I met with a lot of people who were diagnosed in the 80s and, you know, heard their stories and got a sense of like, oh my gosh, like they're, what they went through is kind of like, you know, it's like something I would never imagine what it's like to sort of 
lose all your friends at once and yeah. all, like that that idea of like like a generation reality, of yeah, people a generation of people who are just like wiped out um i don't think i can ever understand what that actually feels like yeah. but then you know i've 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 heard these stories from these people and i felt like oh you know i i, I think i want to tell that story you know because i i feel like there's especially one for the ones who actually die you know like they couldn't they they are not at a, they they can't tell their stories you know yeah. and i think this story of like uh you know when you're when at that era and you can't tell your loved ones what's going on is something that a lot of them faced yeah you know and i was i wanted to you know explore what happens when that's what you face you know you can't tell your family in the meantime you also this sense of mortality is very much close by and then it's like you are also always aware that this is the last time you're going to see them and then how do you negotiate in that space yeah and a, a powerful thing too to think about the you know people move away from home they they kind of forge this new life and they sort of mm -hmm. form different identities in these new places once they kind of spread their wings but the the political and the social climate then was such that like you you really did often have to lead a double life mm -hmm, i mean mm -hmm. a complete like adrian's coming home and it has to be um in a in a sense it's not a fabrication mm -hmm. but it's a it's a really augmented reality mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. what's going on yeah. which is pretty wild and i think that uh yeah the the way that you shot it in the black and white allowed all of that stuff to kind of uh allowed that stuff to come out kind of slowly and really focusing on you, you mentioned earlier kind of people's expressions mm -hmm. and the way that they were reacting to each other there was there were such small things between the characters the way their eyes mm -hmm. would move or somebody would look or something like that that really kind of that really kind of hit home um and i i was thinking before you came over here about one of the scenes that really stuck with me and and i don't <clears throat> i don't know if it's you know meant to be one of the most important scenes but it kind of it's the one that i that really resonated with me and it's when um adrian and andrew's the younger brother right yeah, yeah. um he takes him record shopping right right and there's just like this it's this really cool moment between this older brother and his younger brother and this kind of bond that the film kind of um you know let's kind of speak for itself or, mm. or what's going on and doesn't sort of direct anything but that scene was so uh it was just it was funny it was heartwarming it was right. also in the context of everything like also sad and right, right, right like many other things but i can't remember that andrew's trying to get a bunch of pop music a bunch right, of top right. 40 stuff or something and yeah he has the he has the older brother who would have been me right he, like once he's like dude we got to get you some cure or something. right 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 <laughs> right, like, right just like those kind of scenes though were so sort of um it, it it was such good storytelling i think yeah i mean just that as like this anecdote or this little like a breath in the middle of it to remind too that even in the face of adversity and all these things that these people were living human lives right like, right right even if at the time it's this death sentence they're still they still have loved ones they still have all of these things to do oh they yeah no, totally. to i mean maintain. that's that's the thing i had to always like remind myself you know like uh, and i feel like that was a reality for a lot of these people i met too where you might have this really horrible thing happening to you right now but it's like in the meantime all these 24 7 activity still has to go on yeah <laughs> you life know? happens you still yeah. have to bond with people and you still have to connect with people and all that kind of stuff so it's like you know it's always i always have to remind myself that like those little moments we always have to present them because that's what happens yeah <laughs> yeah i'm and i'm and i'm sure it just provides perspective you know yeah. i mean that's something something i could use some of you know and i think all of us could just in kind of how you're saying earlier like a, a neighbor who you find out has right. voted for somebody like to to have some perspective or something and it was amazing to see the character adrian in this film just the kind of like despite everything that's going on the perspective and kind of like how kind that person is mm -hmm, to the people mm -hmm. around them e even when it's really difficult and right, like right you know i'm watching this just going how can you still you know, love this person, I don't know, whatever. Right, but, right, uh, right, right. Um, and before 1985, you had two features. Yeah. Is that right? Right. Um, 2008, Chow, mm -hmm. and 2013, Pit Stop. Pit yeah. Stop. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't gotten to see those two. What are, what is Chow about and what is Pit Stop so, about? So, 
Chao kind of Chao also has like a very sort of heavy mortality thing behind it too. It's about um, uh, you know a man dies and then because of his death he bring there's like two characters who are brought together who don't know each other because of the death of this person and and it's about the weekend they spend with each other where they sort of talk about this person that they both lost in two different ways you know and how they sort of bond over the course of a weekend um so it's like a very sort of intimate sort of two character study sort of thing um and then pit stop is uh set in like a, a small town texas setting about just like working class gay men you know who and that was like something that I was exploring because uh, I was uh, there was a time where I was like very curious about what it's like to be gay and living in small town America, especially mm-hmm. like in a red state mm-hmm. on top of that. And I and I learned from research that there's actually a lot of them who live in small towns, and that's something that they choose to do, you know. And this idea of like everyone eventually moves to a bigger city is actually not true, yeah, you know. And yeah. I'm and it just that was like one thing I want to explore with that film where it's like, okay, what is it like for them to live their lives in in small town America? And so it's kind of like another sort of humanistic drama too. Yeah, are are you drawn to that kind? Of, are, did you write both of those too? Yeah, as yeah, well? I did. Yeah. yeah. Do you think in your writing are you drawn to? Um, I guess kind of exploring these things that are um, not like the inverse of glamour, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. just kind of like really sort of. I guess just real stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. things that maybe aren't, they're not, they don't sound salacious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I use, I, I, I explore things. I, so what usually happens with my process is that, you know, I, in life, I, uh, sometimes run into situations where I don't really have an answer for, you mm-hmm. know, just like, relationship problems or whatnot just yeah. like uh, in terms of like my 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 relationships or my dyna- dyna- dynamics with people in my life and sometimes i am unable to resolve them for whatever reasons because they get too convoluted or too muddy or whatever and i always turn to film as a way to explore that like it's like a safer way of exploring it because i'm yeah. technically exploring it in the narrative fiction way and so and what what has happened consistently is like after I make the films, I realize sort of like what, what, what I was trying to do. You know, it's not something I was realized what I was doing when I'm making the films itself. It's usually like after the film has already screened for a while, I've talked to a bunch of people then I'm like, Oh gosh, that's actually what I've been trying to get at. Mm-hmm. You know, like in 1985 is the same way where even though I had a very specific intention of telling the story in the beginning and I just remember even when we were putting together our press release for the festivals, like it was a very much about just very specific things that I thought I was doing. And then it was only until four or five months after, you know, when we premiered somewhere, when we screened the film at some festival and a journalist just asked me very specific questions that nudged me to talk about sort of like more personal reasons on why I made the film. And that's Mm. when I was able to articulate what was the actual reason why I made the film, you know? And that was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought that was the real reason but then now i know (laughs) yeah that's actually a real reason you know like 1985 even though i went into there thinking i wanted to tell a story about you know a lost generation of people who are not around to tell their stories anymore but the actual reason that i didn't uncover till later was because uh i realized i was also indirectly impacted by the epidemic Mm because i was 10 years old in in 1985 and I just remember that was a year when I had an inclination I was gay. Mm. And then, but that came very quickly with this idea that gay equals AIDS, equals death, you know, because Rock Hudson's uh, illness was made so public in the news Mm -hmm. in a a way that was very horrific and very like ugly, you know? And so there was such a huge stigma created from that where it's like, oh, if you even come out to anyone, they just think you have AIDS. Yeah even though it's like completely logical, but that's what happens, you know, this sense of like, even like towards the nineties and later where, uh, it's very common for parents to ask, to be concerned about your HIV status mm. if you came out to them, yeah. you know? Um, and so for me, I, I realized that I made 1985 as a way to unpack the notion that 
gay doesn't equal this illness. Yeah. It's actually like two different things. And I guess I sort of grew up with that, that sort of like mark, you know, where it's like my, you know, if I, my life as a gay person was going to end this way, you know? And, and so I had to like make a film to go back and tell myself that (sighs) it's not the same thing, which is, which is the essence of the tape recording at the end that the, that Adrian Lee's Roy's younger brother. You yeah, know, it's like, yeah. It's like I, I think I sort of went back in time to tell myself that. Interesting. And in, in all the people that could have been kind of like mentors, for lack of a, a better term, or yeah. aspirant models, yeah. a generate like we said earlier, a generation of those people are gone. Yeah, yeah. Like people that you could just point to and say, "Hey, that person is living a functional, productive life," or right, right. an older brother, or somebody's cousin or a family friend who could kind of say, Hey, you know, I, I know what you're going through mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and here's, you know, here's how I navigate yeah, that. Yeah. It, a whole generation of people came up that didn't have any of those people there. Right, it's right. kind of wild. Yeah. Jesus. Um, well, that's interesting to think that in that short time since the film's release that you can kind of get that type of perspective. But I guess when making art, that's what happens a lot. Right. I mean, I, it takes me longer than that. I look at, a like a sketchbook that I had, yeah. you know, in college or something. And I read like an entry. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was really a diary, but you know, I'd write some yeah, thoughts in yeah. it and stuff. And I would read it and just be like, whatever I was trying to get, I was like, dude, that's not what that was about. You know, like right, I have right, this, right. but I've got, you know, <clears throat> I've got 15 years on that now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Say, um, do you think, do you have a different perspective on your earlier films now looking back at them? Do you, and I mean that in terms of as a filmmaker, yeah. are you, do you think that is it do you feel like you're going on kind of like an incremental pace or or do you look at chow and then you look at 1985 and go wow that is a i'm it's like a giant leap or is it kind of like a slow burn i mean it's it's i I think stylistically they're all still very similar films i would say they're giant leap in the sense that you know obviously as you make more films you get better at it it's like a craft that you practice and so for me it's like i i've learned to sort of um you know, sharpen the tool in a way, you know, from making all these films. But I would say that the biggest thing that evolved for me is that through these films, I'm getting closer to being more comfortable in making something that's a lot more personal Hmm. in the sense that I feel like for the previous films, uh, there was a distance, you know, in 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 that I was always like, I'm... I'm putting some of the thoughts in my head in other people's heads, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's just like trying to sort of like slip into their shoes and, and let them explore some of the things I'm thinking about. And then right now with 1985, I feel like it's, this is like the most, the closest I've gotten into something where I'm like, Oh, I'm actually exploring something that is very much about me, you know, like in the sense that like the younger brother is, I feel like it's very close to, what I was like at that age and yeah. growing up and all that kind of stuff, like com- in a completely different setting, obviously, because I was born and raised in Malaysia. But I think a lot of what that younger brother went through and how he felt is directly lifted from my experience. Yeah. Wow. And, and Jesus, you're saying that I'm thinking about too, the, you know, I, my, my experience with creative practices, um, besides being in, you know, bands when I was younger is, mm-hmm. is primarily, it's a solo kind of thing, making yeah. art and, the making the art of cinema though, especially when you start to get personal, then you're also having to be, you also have to direct people. Mm -hmm, And then you're, mm -hmm. you're kind of, your emotions are getting tied up and you're trying to like get this person to do this, to be more like this. And I would be, I'm not saying you are, but I would be the whole time just like, they know what I really am trying to say. I'd be so worried about it. God, it sounds, Oh, it sounds like anxiety ridden, but, um, I admire yeah, people yeah. who can do it. That's pretty cool. I would have a meltdown. There's no way I couldn't do that. <laughs> oh man. Um, and, uh, in you, you do a lot of uh, graphic design stuff yeah. though for other people's films, right? right. Um, and you've you've done some of the stuff for your own films, right? Did yes. you do the pit uh-huh. stop poster? I did a pit stop poster yeah. also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when did you start? Were you were you like drawing kind of like spec movie posters for stuff that you weren't hired for, or or were you just like running your mouth one time like, yeah, I could design that, and somebody's like, okay, I need it by this date, and then you're like, oh, sh- oh yeah. Uh, I mean, that's uh, okay. I mean, this is interesting because I don't think I've actually 
<laughs> it's it's also like a, a one of these uh things i realized i have sort of like buried somewhere in my consciousness uh-huh. like where i wouldn't i'm like oh wait a second this actually came from this place not this other place so my the longest time my story about design is that um my you know my 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 full-time job in uh, when i lived in dallas the longest one i had was working uh at neiman marcus at the headquarters and I was uh, working in their creative department and I was doing copywriting and copy editing for them. And then at the same time, I was learning a lot about design from being in that environment, you know, where, cause it's like a luxury, luxury um, retail company. So you're constantly exposed to aesthetic and all that kind of stuff. So you, over time, you know, when you work there, you sort of know what looks good and what yeah. looks bad and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You have a, a much uh, heightened sensitivity to all those kind of things. And, and for me, it was like, Oh, like I now sort of know what is like a good typography and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I started experiment, experiment, experimenting with that in my own films. And then in the meantime, I was doing it for my filmmaker friends who, you know, most of us were like DIY people who like yeah. have no budget to do key art and all that kind of uh-huh. stuff. And meanwhile, I knew how to do it. You know, I Wait, was just what's key art. Is that a uh, poster? poster? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. That's the more uh, industry in, industry term. I'm going to try to, I'm just gonna, key art. I'm yeah. going to drop that. Yeah. Yeah. In you, like should, a week. you should drop it That's and then explain to others what it means. <laughs> oh, you don't know. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so I was doing it for my friends, you yeah. know, and it was, uh, and my films got into festivals. The other films got into festivals. And other filmmakers would be like, who did your poster? Huh, yeah. It looks great. And then, then I started getting inquiries from other people. And it got to a point where I was getting so many requests or commissions that I was like, I think I can quit my job. Yeah, <laughs> nice. like, I can't, I can actually do this for a living. And yeah. I was like really liking it anyway, you know? So yeah. I was like, yeah, I should totally like dive into it. And that's the official story of how I got into design. And the, cool. the, the hidden part of the story is that <laughs> I literally forgot about this until my mom brought it up on a phone call a couple of months ago. Cause she's been doing a lot of, she always does this constant spring cleaning of the house. Right. Which God, I don't like know. Year parents, round spring cleaning. Well, just like every now and then you go through stuff in the room, okay. you go yeah, through yeah. boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And then her thing is like, yeah, my mom oh. sends me pictures of it. Okay. Like, like stuff that she finds. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Like, wait, asking you if you want it to keep sometimes, something yeah, or get rid of it. Yeah. Okay. That's what my not mom so, does. Not so much in recent years, but yeah, for sure. Okay. Like, do you want this thing? And I'm just like, like, what right. is that? Okay. So, <laughs> so it's a, it's a thing. Like that's what our parents do, yeah, you yeah. know, when we don't yeah. live with them anymore. So my mom does that and it comes up frequently enough where she's like, I still have your, you know, like all this stuff I've kept in a box and like, what do you want me to do with it? And I would tell her, just get rid of it. Uh I don't care. I don't even know what's in there anymore. But I think parents actually don't want to discard it because they're very sentimental. And so she was telling me about what's in one of these boxes that she's asking me if I want to get rid of. And she's like, did you know (laughs) that you have notepads after notepads of just like, sketching stuff <laughs> and i was like oh my god i know what she's talking about and the sketching i was doing between the ages of like i want to say 12 to like 17 uh-huh. uh i would actually uh redraw key art yes like by I hand it. <laughs> <laughs> i would i would watch a film and then i would look at the key art yeah, yeah, afterwards yeah. and then i would just that makes sense. Hand draw, I, I draw it really horribly, but then yeah. my thing was I just like drawing what something I really enjoy watching. I was like, oh, I just want to emulate the key art. So I would just draw pages and pages yeah. of like... And you just absorb that stuff, right. though. And you understand, you start to get the layout. And you start to get yeah, the exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was essentially a training in a way that <laughs> I never somehow conveniently think that's irrelevant, you know? Like the Neiman yeah, no, Marcus. No. The Neiman Marcus story is more like more sure. glamorous yeah, version yeah. of it, you know? But then... The real, the, the yeah. raw and gritty version is We're this. breaking it here first. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like, it's like... No, mm, that makes sense. I yeah. used to, I did the same thing with, uh, like, uh, CDs that I liked. I okay, was trying to draw okay. the cover art. I 
loved trying to draw, um, which, you know, are, are bad design, but uh, skateboard company logos. Right, right. I loved trying yeah. to draw that shit when I was a kid. Still can't draw Misfits skull. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wish I could. It's right, actually right. kind of hard to draw, but right. I probably <laughs> tried to draw that a lot. But yeah, I would just emulate things that right. I saw. And I was really young and it just kind of... It just kind of stuck with me, and it would be ridiculous for me to say that the aesthetic of things that I make now isn't a hundred percent like mm-hmm. owed to me sitting there being right, like, right. "How do I draw this?" <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, but that's cool. That's, but I mean, the stuff is. Uh, I don't know. It's I. I don't have a. I don't have an. I admittedly don't have an eye for design, like good design. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, don't, I know how to use you know some things in adobe creative suite mm-hmm. i can make a meme okay, okay. Know, i can That's make good. a meme yeah but, like, yeah but there's an elegance to like movie poster design right. and it has to like it has to do this thing where it has to convey what kind of movie it is without being so obvious mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. what kind of movie it is you mm-hmm. know which mm-hmm. is it's a that's tough and how do you put all those little words on it how do you decide where those go? <laughs> There's so many. I don't. I mean, words. that's yeah. Like it's. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's one of those things that uh, it feels very natural. There's not like much of a thought process behind it. It's just like a very instinctive, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I think the fact that I make films also, I think I have another shorthand there where yeah. I I have a sense of like this is what the film needs, you know? Because usually I. I also don't, I don't believe in that thing where, um, you have to mislead your audience, you mm-hmm. know, into like a key art for a movie that's not what the movie is, which oh. is something that's very common, you know, in, really? because marketing is all about trying to get people to watch something. Yeah. That's why sometimes you have films where even though it's like, a drama they try to nudge the psychological thriller aspect of it <laughs> or they try to make something like there's a, a backward more like there's a backwards end and like a serif typeface on it <laughs> like well not not like that not that subtle i'm talking about like trade like especially trailer marketing is the most obvious in terms of like that's the easiest way to mislead people into thinking that the film is not what it is so the same thing happens in key the key oh. art world also where uh, there are certain poster art for certain films where you look at it, you're like, you watch the film, you're like, that's not the right poster for that movie, huh. you know? And so I don't believe I in that philosophy. That's, yeah. No, there, there, yeah. I'm like, I have like a vague, fuzzy image in my head of like yeah. a movie that I saw that the, the key art for it, I'm using the term now, was like, it was like lime green and had like a something going on in it. And then I saw the movie and I was like, that is not the poster right, for right, the movie right, I just right, saw. Right, and I yeah. thought I was seeing something else. Weird. This yeah. is also going to be a thing that I am going to bring up to other people and be like, you know, the key art sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, totally. You should do that. I'm learning so much. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that's something that I try not to do. You know, like yeah, I, I yeah. want, I want, I want to do something that's totally consistent with the work itself. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I think that's also comes from a place of that's what I would like for my own films yeah. too. So I, I imagine most filmmakers appreciate the same thing. And I bet they appreciate that somebody's doing it who makes films. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I'm yeah. sure that's no, a totally. huge thing. To I think that's like, a, you, that's a you know my plight mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in like trying to get this between like a single aesthetic one image that captures the thing and like how much they have to like depending on who they're working with fight tooth and nail mm-hmm, to keep mm-hmm. like their they want it to look like what they made right kind right, of thing. right so right that's cool to do service to that um well i guess the last thing is where um where can people see 1985 coming up? You so dates in other yeah, cities. Yeah, we or? have a we have like a really small theatrical window starting in October 26 in New York and LA. Ooh, and then it's um, do you know where in New York? I want to tell everyone. Not everybody. yet. It's still up in the air right now. We're still okay. trying to lock down a theater. It's okay, playing at well, the Lamley uh, Santa Monica in in Los Angeles, uh, but uh, it's gonna open. It's gonna play at AFS Cinema in Austin also, and also. Uh, probably the Texas Theater in Dallas. Um, and, you know, I also say all of this knowing that most people don't watch movies in theaters anymore. You know, like in terms of like smaller films, especially, it's really hard to get people out to go watch those movies. And meanwhile, you're competing with a lot of big titles. Like mm-hmm. By the time we come out, like all the Oscar bait movies are coming out too. Because it's the end of the year. Right. Exactly. Uh. All the, all the serious films are coming out now. (laughs) So we don't, we don't have the kind of. Your movie's very serious. Yeah. It's very serious, (laughs) but we don't have 
<laughs> the marketing budget that a movie like A Star Is Born has.、Uh, you、yeah. know, like I mean, you、yeah. know, when people say we want to go see like a, something that feels really serious and、yeah. nourishes my soul, and they're gonna pick Lady Gaga over, sure, <laughs> yeah, or like a, or like the Family Christmas movie. You know,、right. everybody's got to go see one. I think. Wait, is Bradley Cooper a Star Is Born? Is he the yes? Yeah,、okay. yeah. He's the director of it. I、too. saw one of his.、Um, all those movies are the same movie to me.、Um, June. Jennifer Lawrence is in it or something. Joy, Joy, yes, <laughs> yeah, Joy, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a, has a that Christmas was, setting also.、Uh-huh. Yeah, I yeah. saw that. And Virginia Madsen was in that. She was. She played、uh, Jennifer Lawrence's mom. Oh, whoa, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw that at Christmas with my family. Okay, but that's a that's a you know we want to see a family Christmas right, movie, right, right. but. Uh, I do have a lot of listeners in New York because that's where I used to live. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. people who are listening in New York,、uh, check out 1985.、Um, oh, you can just go to our website too, 1985thefilm.com, to get the actual release details and stuff. Cool. Because it's it's coming out on VOD and all that kind of stuff like towards、uh, year end also. I recommend though, if you have the opportunity, go see in the theater in New York. Okay.、Uh, the October 26th. Yes. Ish around、uh, there. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I'll put a link to the、uh, the film's website in、okay. the in the description.、Um, Yen, thank you so much thank for you. Thank coming you, by today. Yeah, thanks for、uh, having me. Thanks for breaking in the red table with me. Yes, it's a、uh, and Austin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, and I'm going to go to the Austin Film Society, get a membership. Yes, and just start talking about key art. Yeah, and everybody's going to be like, "This guy's he knows what." <laughs> <laughs> what is he talking about? It's called. Then I'm going to then I'm going to find out that yeah, you lied to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, well,、uh, to everybody out there listening, thanks again. We'll catch you next week. Bye.